It's been good to see you, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ricky. Good to see you. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about what got you in the tech industry. So I don't think tech was really ever the focus necessarily. It was sales. Predominantly, sales was always in my blood. Father was in sales, brothers in sales, got involved in sales early on. And that took me into New York City, selling in New York City for logistics companies, worked for some fashion and apparel companies. And then, yeah, man, being in New York City 10 years ago, and you're just like in the middle of the buzz of all the technology that is being talked about and it's everywhere, it just permeates every piece of the community at that point. You slowly get lured into it. Yes, yeah, slowly but surely it, it became a louder noise in my ear and I'd say, yeah, it was just exciting and interesting and just like tech meant so many different things to so many different people. So you got really curious and eventually you had to scratch that itch and yeah, ended up getting involved with at that point, what was like a predominantly a sales enablement solution. And yeah, it was early on and it was interesting and it was wild and, uh, there was no structure you didn't really know what you were getting yourself into and yeah, man. And now it's been a while. So nice. New York city, though, nice. I'll, 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 I'll say that's a win for New York city there. Got me. Hey mate, it sounds like you would have had a few roles along the journey. Was there ever one that you just for whatever reason, didn't like or didn't enjoy? Yeah, I think that's an interesting one because what comes to mind, I don't, I don't want to say I didn't like it or didn't enjoy it, but what comes to mind when you say that is working, actually in college, I'd worked for a, a health supplement company uh, up in upstate New York and working 35 hours a week while going to college is a task in and of itself, but more than anything, it's taking you away from the college experience. Being at work in what was somewhat of a lonely environment, if I'm thinking back on it now, it was at like a small shopping mall and you're, you're pretty much the only one in the store at that time once they train you up. So you're just in there by yourself yeah. thinking about what every other college student is doing right now and what your buddies are doing. And I think that at the time, it's just probably frustrating and you're like, oh my God, why am I doing this? But hey, on the other side of that coin is the, some of the lifestyle that it afforded me to live and some of the things that I enjoy doing. Yeah. Working for that company at the time, I would have said, this is horrible. This is the worst thing ever. It wasn't necessarily the company's fault there. I think that was yeah, just yeah. like opportunity cost on what I'm missing out on with my buddies. And I, I though reflecting back on it now, even in talking to you, I'm like, I learned a lot about that. That was probably my first. Sure toe in the water of sales back in the day. That was my first commission-based job only too. You, you had to grind and, and, and sell. And yeah, I, that's why it's weird. I don't want to say it was the worst job, but at that moment I was like, damn, I would have loved to be hanging out with my buddies and doing something else right now. But now I'm grateful that I, I did feel that you, man. and it afforded uh, me the opportunity to learn. So that's tough. I don't know, man. College, especially nowadays, the way we college is shaking out for a few kids. I, yeah, man, every minute is precious. It's a lot of those sort of kind of roles that we have. I guess it, it sorts to help sort some of the, some of the, the week from the chats. Yeah, totally. And I, I think even to that point, you learn a lot about yourself pretty quickly too, probably more than like the classroom education that you're getting or the street education that you're getting, hanging out there, having to like manage money differently or be professional and then turn that off and then be a college kid and speak in person to people and represent a brand and be curious and actually not just care about like, where's the next bar we're going to go to necessarily, but I'll be genuinely interested. That's a, that's a good a life lesson. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I probably saved myself a few times being at work versus being in the other scenarios that, that panned out. So for that, I also am grateful that I took a different path in that regard. 
But yeah, yeah, that was an interesting one. That was an interesting one. So man, fast forward to today and you made this really interesting transition from sales to customer success. Tell us a little bit about what are you learning and what could you lean on, obviously having such a heavy sales background coming into this new role? Because we've seen a lot of people that have made the transition the other way as well. And they've had a number of struggles in making that transition. And you've gone the opposite direction to what, yeah, I've seen. So that's a really interesting journey. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to hear it that way too. Yeah, the the transition for me, I, I think was a lot smoother than I, I would have uh, guessed even on the surface. And the reason I say that is, yes, I don't think is so far off from like fundamentally what sales is doing, right? If you think about it, we're working to identify problems. We're doing good discovery. We're active listeners. We're asking questions, right? tying solutions to problems. Sales was always my bread and butter, so to speak. That was just what I was born into. And CS was a little nerve wracking getting, getting going on. But once you really started to dig in, I think you, you realize that not that you've got to resell every single customer that you speak to, but you've got to speak with that same level of conviction. You've got to really make sure that you're, you're present and you're treating that customer as the only person in the room, so to speak. And so a lot of what I believe we would focus on in, in a sales motion and what's fundamental to the success there was equally as fundamental to the success on the CS side of things. Yeah, I, I think it really helped me in that regard because there's also a metabolism, I think, going back to what you're talking about there, Curtis, that can more easily translate from sales to CS than maybe your more traditional CS to sales, right? The lion's den mentality. You can invite people into that opportunity. It's tough, I think, to to go and lead an organization after never having stepped foot in it before on the sales side. But I see people doing it all the time. And that's amazing. I just, it's more natural, I think, for me going from sales to CS than potentially the other way around. That being said, though, we find a lot of success in people in our CS org who are making their way into sales. And I think that comes from like a fundamentally building your confidence, understanding how to communicate with our customer, maybe getting some wins under your belt that you wouldn't have had the opportunity mm. to do in that environment in. And now you say, hey, I've really got a taste for this. This is exciting. I want to go do that but in a different way. That's what we've seen happen. And you know, with the struggles that have come along with that as well, making the transition. But do you think that having gone from sales into customer success, has that helped you with some of the strengths that you've learned out of sales, followed you into customer success? Or have you been able to bring something to that role that might not necessarily have been naturally thought about perhaps? Yeah, totally. Again, sales for us is, it's about consistency, right? It's about that metabolism. It's about sticking to your, to your playbooks, building scalable process, like learning, using data. There's a lot of transferability there. And I think that you, in a transactional, more B2B setting, you can really hone in on those skills pretty quickly. And I think you just uh, become acutely aware of what drives, what are your dials, and to transitioning to CS, there's, there's different data, there's different success metrics, there's different things that you're trying to drive. But at the end of the day, I think what I learned in sales helped me set up my foundation for what I need in order to drive to the outputs, which is very much controlling the inputs and knowing that I've got my reporting and I've got my visibility and I understand really what, what the inputs are. And so I don't know if that mindset comes naturally from a CS to, to sales. I would think so, but. From my experience, the sales really ignited that in me and that transferred quite easily to the CS side of things. Hey, Justin, want to pick your brains on this one. New customer acquisition has always been the big play when it comes to sales, right? That's what revenue teams have been known for. 
obviously with the changes in macroeconomic conditions, a lot of focus has become about CS and keeping the customers and cross-selling and upselling. What are some of the strategic plays that you found that have been really useful in getting the balance right for you and the team? Yeah, it's the right way of putting it. It is a delicate balance there, but really at the crux of it is the fact that if you've got a good mission, then the notion between having to make a decision on whether I'm acquiring new customers or trying to get more new customers or have less customers leave every month, it's almost the same thing, right? And so for us in, in my current role here, we obsess around championing our pros to success. So I don't necessarily make the decision always for everybody of, are we going to acquire more? Are we going to acquire less? Are we going to lose more or lose less? It's more about let's obsess around our pro and let's understand what their needs are. And if it's a busy season, for instance, then we understand they're going to be in the field. Maybe there's a part of that just natural. So we got to arm them with everything that they need to be successful to do that. And so that might mean that we're going to lean a little bit more on the cross-sell, the upsell, making sure that they're armed with everything that they need, knowing that acquisition might have to slow down a little bit because that's what's best for our customers right mm -hmm. now. And then on the flip side, when people are making buying decisions and it's a new year, new me mentality, then you might be leaning a little bit more onto the acquisition side of things. I think at, at the crux of it is really having a good North Star to focus on so that it doesn't have to be a, an or statement and it becomes more of an and statement. And that's, that I think has worked well for us. I, Justin, you touched on earlier a little bit about metrics, especially when it comes to sales. Everything can be tracked from activities to pipeline to everything else, as you can imagine. What have you found in CS in terms of metrics? What works best? Because a lot of the organizations are still not actually very well set up when it comes to the whole CS piece, right? They may have implementation or account management, but they don't really think about cross-selling and upselling. What have you been able to bring in and what are you doing right now? As we touched upon a little bit earlier, I, you can't really manage what you can't measure. And getting set up within our CS organization, really any CS organization, with clear metrics, and really, I think from a frontline standpoint, what does success look like, right? Aside from just looking at it from a business standpoint, how do we make sure that the same success metrics that our frontline reps are obsessing around every day, you know, layer up into our business metrics? And so I don't shy away from the fact that like revenue is still a piece of that. In fact, I think CS hmm? in many ways, almost in every function has some revenue contribution or impact that can be translated to whether that's leads generated for upsell, whether that's reducing the number of times that a pro chats in or the frequency in which they're chatting in by getting to a better resolution and, and the commensurate churn rates that, that we can prove out around that. There's a million ways to look at it. From our standpoint, we start to have an emphasis more around this notion of like net dollar retention and lifetime value. These are bigger CS metrics in certain instances, but getting them active, revenue per customer, customer engagement scores, these are things that we've been able to establish uh, strong reporting around and also get good buy-in to why we're measuring those and why those are important. From our rep standpoints, knowing that our pros are going to find success and value if we can really dial that in. You actually mentioned something interesting when you talked about finding potential leads for upsell and is how is that working with metrics. Would you typically think of something like account management or technical account management or that sort of stuff includes a sales component in terms of upsell and cross-sell or are you literally just looking for the opportunities and you think it's more appropriate to then pass that back to a sales team? I'm interested to get your thoughts around some of that. Yeah. 
it's a little bit of both. The one size fits all mentality, I don't think works at scale so much. And so there needs to be some level of specialization. I think there's some people who you get to a certain point of escalating a conversation that it really requires a dedicated resource to drive that opportunity or suss out that opportunity. But we've done a good job of empowering our front lines by whether that's proper commission incentives or spiffs and, and structures like that to just be curious though. Honestly, at the end of the day, ask that one more question or don't just provide a health article necessarily, actually resolve the problem by getting to the root cause of it. And in many times by doing so, we end up surfacing just a notion of, oh, okay, it was more about a lead problem that you were talking about, or it was more about a time equation that, that you were suffering from. You know what? This might bode well for that. And here's how I can help you out with it. And if we go too deep into it, you know what? I've got a specialist that might be able to help you out as well. I think that if you empower the front lines, you have a strong mission that everybody's anchored on and people are likely motivated by money, there's some type of spiff or proper incentive structure mm. aligned with it. You can start to sniff out interesting opportunity that probably would have passed you by had you just focused on one single metric and yeah. not opened that door up. I think as well, like, yeah. that, that probably speaks to a little bit of your strengths and background in sales because... Asking the question and trying to do a discovery case. When I've, I've been training people on that sort of thing, you talk about, but what's the question behind the question? They might be asking you this, but the actual pain is sitting over here somewhere or because they haven't, haven't connected mm -hmm. those dots yet themselves. And sales can be very trained to go hunting and finding those things, especially when you're doing some solution selling. Whereas customer success, often not so much. And so that's a really interesting strength that you bring into the role. Um, has there been any sort of training or have you found that's been natural for the team that you're working with? Yeah, I, I'd say that... Listen, it's tough for me to shelter my New York enthusiasm and metabolism and getting behind a mission and translating it through my words, I hope has an impact in just fortifying what it is that we're trying to drive home. But again, at the, at the essence of it has always been a really strong mission that people can anchor around. I think just giving them maybe a different perspective by turning them in a different angle here allows them to understand that it doesn't come just in one shape, right? Like we can drive success and we can help champion our customers to success not just by providing ways of working through an issue that they might have, but also challenging them and holding them accountable in certain instances, right? There's things that you can surface just from a, a support or onboarding perspective to just hold the mirror up sometimes. Like, how do you think this is going so far? Like we, we've laid this plan out. You've showed up every time without having done your homework necessarily or what we agreed upon. And now you, and now something else might surface from there. You say, oh, you know what? I keep having to answer my phones though. And then this person's out sick. All right. Is it a hiring talent? Is it a retaining talent thing? And do you need some coaching on that? And do we have a service or something that might be able to better align with that? At the end of the day, I, I think I present myself as a very just authentic human servant-based leader at the end of the day. And people, I think, will take that and translate that into the fact that humans buy from humans. And the more that we could be human and the more that we can really thoroughly understand what's going on in their business and not just not just read what was on the page to say, but go that one step further before more meaningful connections. And I think we start to understand what the true opportunity is. Very well said, mate. Everything's a human project, right? I think when you make it a customer-centric or a human-centric approach, everything bundles together. You seem to have made the transition seamlessly, Justin, from what I can gather. So kudos to you. But any advice to those who may be contemplating a career move from sales to CS, as, as we touched on, it's not necessarily a common one. What are the pitfalls and what are the things they should look out for? Yeah, 
First off, let me just say that I've I definitely tripped over myself a, a ton of times here. I think we found a success, but I am I'm grateful for the people that I've had around me and the the mentality of being okay with failing and just really being empowered from my leadership. That being said, I hope that whoever that person is making the transition has really good leadership that supports them with it and, and gives them that latitude to be able to do that. Because I think you have to bring a little bit of yourself into the equation there, right? CS is so complex and it's evolving and it's changing so much every single day that I think the more that we can invite a unique perspective, the, the better it ends up becoming. And if you are looking to transition into CS, especially from something like sales or that's your background, I think you have to get away from this notion that's CS is purely just, did somebody on board and are, do they know how to use the platform? Some of these maybe older traditional, we're just, we gave them a, a help article. Get away from these old traditional ways of just thinking about CS. And again, remember that at the end of every conversation is a human there. And so if you're just more interested in that human connection and forming those connections and helping alleviate pain through proper discovery and, and, and value attribution and all of the things that I think make you really successful on sales, then it should be a pretty blurry line at that point. We are very close with our sales counterparts as well, right? It isn't this separation of CS and sales. And I think the more that people can just open their mind up to that notion that it isn't a quantum leap to get into CS, that there's a lot of transferability between the two and the two should be working really well together, then it starts to become somewhat of an obvious path in certain instances. Thanks for all the tips there, Justin. Now switching gears a little bit, but staying within the similar theme or the topic, we speak to a lot of the early stage founders, right? And in, in our current capacity, obviously sales and product are at the center of where they're going and how they're building the business. Marketing probably follows soon after, but CS is still this unnoticed, forgotten thing. So do you have any advice for those who are just kicking off their journey and perhaps just got to that two to five million ARR stage? as to how should they think about team composition and what your first CS team should look like? Yeah, I think it also speaks to the environment that we're in right now. You had spoken about some macroeconomic impacts and how maybe it's not all about just the, the kind of growth at any cost mentality, but more about fine-tuning economics and, and laying down a different path. And I think the earlier that you can think about building a strong foundation to your point, like rooted with some type of CS function, it's only going to serve you better because you, you, you turn a corner at a certain point and you realize the cost to acquire a new customer versus the cost to keep a customer. And what are my economics and what are my, my trade-offs there? Um, in the experience that I've had being exposed to that, having some type of person for onboarding at least to make sure that value is being realized and the expectation that was set at the sale is translated because you're you're trying to build a brand, you're trying to build a reputation. So I think, you know, early on, sometimes you end up losing a lot of what you bring in just because of misset expectations potentially. And having somebody in there, maybe to just connect a few wires and restate a few propositions and maybe just be again, a human at the end of the line there to help take some frustration out of the equation, get a CS manager in there, get yeah. somebody who's just thinking about the problem, who's just at least creating visibility on mm -hmm. it. Get somebody who's that escalated path, who's willing to speak to a customer. Have that person just continue to echo the brand, I think, and the mission. And slowly but surely, I think you're going to build a community that's going to start to create more of that inbound momentum that, that'll just serve you as you scale up. Yeah. It's interesting. As we've moved and expanded the previous businesses, 
through different countries and different geographies and that sort of thing. You have to basically go into each area as a whole and do stuff all over again. And it's, a, it's an interesting perspective because it's the same sort of conclusion that we came to as a team as a while ago. So you need to initially see the market. So you need some customers, you need to try and get some market going, yes. And you need to get some sales on the ground, but straight away also you need that customer success. Who's supporting the customers? Who's looking after them? Thinking about the, the, the other side of the metrics other than just customer acquisition, because it's no good acquiring customers today if they're just dropping off the back end. Who's thinking about implementation? Who's thinking about customer success? Who's thinking about making sure that they're they're happening and they're growing uh, and as they're growing and they're growing yeah uh, and so right. it seems to be like a key. the first team is you know, generate some leads do some sales and it's like that's your team composition three people straight off the bat. Um, yeah totally uh, and then and then scale sort of crew from there yeah and i think again yeah. like one of those interesting byproducts of that is just having a an echo chamber of what of what the mission is and what it is that you're driving home for your for your customers like that the more that can just reverberate between that team and you have those kind of synergies and common denominators across sales and whoever else is involved. I think it also will help temper sales in certain ways where they might've made decisions that they may have regretted later on and also challenges CS to uh, maybe hold the line in certain instances. I think that there's a healthy tension that probably comes with it that, that, is, that is good to inject as early as you can. Hey, Justin, I want to circle back to one of the earlier points that you mentioned was around spiff. Have you found that works really well when it comes to CS? Because we've tinkered around with a whole bunch of different things and we, we settled on one and it worked really well for us, but we had to split out the teams and it was more around the cross-sell and upsell and it was very clear cut as to what you were going to get commission on. In your experience, what has, what has worked and what hasn't worked? Yeah, for sure. I don't think there's ever going to be a silver bullet for it because there's there's always somebody that's out there that's, that's going to be talking to somebody else. It just festers. They're looking at the one angle of it. But I actually appreciate most frontline reps who are trying to break the model in that regard. On the sales side, as a sales rep, I, that's what it is. So the challenge is on us as leaders sure. to find a way of connecting that, that ambition and that drive with, again, with a mission, but also getting to the output that we want. So we're very much, and I've been brought up in the school of thought of controlling what you can control, right? We're like a... a manage the inputs type of organization. And I think what's worked well in, in many instances is a spiff that might be driven somewhat on that metabolism that you have, the pace in which you can conduct yourself, whether it's a certain dial per day threshold as a qualifier or something like that. There's something that seeds this notion of, I have to, okay, I can't just game this and get an output of something because I just really nabbed the whale and that paid me everything that I want. Great. But how do we think about more of a sustainable kind of spiff and commission structure? And I think it comes with some type of qualifier or some notion of a minimum expectation on that metabolism. If it's dials, if it's demos, if it's something like that, just to get your foot in the door. And then it's got to be crystal clear on like, what is your role that you're doing? Is it booked demos that you're driving? Okay, if that's the output, maybe we're going to focus a little bit more on ensuring that you have really solid QA adherence, or you might have something that is really just fundamental to being successful in that role versus just goal seeking against a, a nominal number mm. that's going to get you your spiff. Now that's the kind of magic wand world that I think we, we'd like to live into so that we were building the right muscles around everybody so that if the spiff wasn't there, then they still hold the line. You, you had mentioned that you settled on one, which I, I'd be interested to peel that back a little bit. But for us, it's 
It could be on, we've got a retention goal, we've got a percentage active goal, we're thinking about CSAT scores, we're thinking about all these different things of like, how are we moving this muscle? And so what works well is making sure that they're crystal clear on in that function in that department. What can you do in your day-to-day that's going to influence that and making sure that we're building that musculature? What I don't think works well is like big team incentives and structures where you're like all just pushing towards... If we hit this goal this month at the end of the month, then we're all going to get our piece of the pie. And I say that because I think you, you end up finding a few people who are just riding the coattails of others in certain instances, right? And it's, if I let, let off mm. the gas, but Ricky just decides to double down and we hit our goal, great for all of us. Thanks, Ricky, for the help there too, right? Th- that being said, there's a time and a place to test all these things out. But uh, yeah, I want to focus more on those, mm. those inputs as much as I can. You've got to you would put in front of the sales team and it might be marketing, but specifically what you might put in front of a, a customer success team and had various proposals put to us from different CS teams over the years or individuals as well, but trying to find a good way to incentivize CS and, and, and not have them gain the outcome of what you're looking for is really tricky balance. Yeah. I, I want to make sure that they're going to spend enough time with every single customer, for example, to solve a problem. So what I don't want to do is put stiff on the number of dials they're making as, as a result. Or I want to make sure that they're getting through the tickets. So I've got the backlog of 200 tickets or something like that. So we want to be making sure that they're getting through that. I also don't want them to just be falling their way through and spending five hours on each customer when that's not necessary either. So like, it's the same with every team. You know? You'll find yeah. it in development, technical, you'll find it in sales, you'll find it everywhere. So try, trying to build those kind of incentive structures is really quite tricky. And yeah, having your insights onto how you think about that with CS was, was, was really valuable, I think. Yeah, I appreciate it. And just touching on that point, Curtis, I think it's interesting just how you manage your people too. I think the expectations around your performance management and what are the metrics and what are our weekly cadences. Mm-hmm. And when you get that really dialed in, like your activity, your conversion, your engagement components of things, I think it, it just, it lends itself well to having some type of metabolism. How fast can you do things? Some type of how fast or what is the efficacy of what you're doing? And, and then there's likely some type of efficiency component to how you're working through all those things. Like you said, you're not just sitting on a call for five hours or, you know, you're able to get through all your tickets, but you're also not just doing it and getting a zero score or like a a bad outcome. Uh, I think again, dialing in like how you're managing the team and what those metrics are gives you a little more freedom to say, all right, this is my minimum expectation. And for us, again, having this notion of a qualifier has been helpful. It's not just like this binary mm. outcome. There's a minimum threshold and then certain components of things can kick in versus it's all or nothing where you start earning it right away so that you just know that we've got to be a certain amount of skin in the game. Mm. I like that. Justin, coming up to a helicopter view here, what's next for you and House Call Pro? What are you most excited about moving into the next phase? Yeah, a lot of excitement. I'd say that... What's going on right now within Housecall Pro, we've just been up to a, a ton of very interesting and amazing things that we're doing for our pros. For CS, the most interesting challenge, I think, will be how do you translate a tremendous amount of complexity into your simple conversation and your simple interaction with the pro while still maximizing the conversation, right? As we were saying earlier, it's that notion of just being a little more curious or knowing what to listen for or having the proper trainings. We're just going to continue to invest heavily in our people as we always have. We're going to make sure that we, we give them the tools that they need to be successful so that they can serve our pros. 
but we've spent a lot of time investing in some really amazing products and features and services here that have, that have come to market. And gosh, you only got so much time with a pro when you're on the phone. You can't be talking about 57 different things. You've got to find a way to simplify that. And that's, I think, one opportunity that we have in front of us is continuing to make that as seamless as possible for our customers. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you got to be a human again. You don't want to be on the phone and you don't want to be feeling like a robot and saying, oh yeah, Ricky, let me, one more thing. Oh, one more thing. Oh, more. Okay. I got it off my list. We checked everything down, <laughs> right? That's, yeah. that's not what yeah, anybody yeah. wants to do. It wants to be organic as much as possible. No, definitely not. Hey, talking about that though, AI is obviously ripping through the tech scene at the moment. Mm. Some of it in a good way and some of it is probably going to challenge us all. How are you and the team thinking about AI and its inclusion in your daily lives? Yeah, to be honest, I, I'm very excited at the idea of it. I think the more that I learn about it, I also get a little antsy around its capabilities, right? Mm. I think, that, but I yeah. think that comes from a place of just not knowing, right? And so I think education around it and education around it for our customers and our teams help, help them see the world where it can really support and boast what we're after in, in championing our pros to success and not be necessarily a, Hey, is this going to work me out of a job mentality, but no, how can I actually use these types of softwares to better serve my customers faster with a higher success rate with knowing more information at my fingertips and have just that, that, that person in my pocket, helping me supporting me versus a person that's coming after me necessarily. We're very, we're very tech. We're very welcoming of all the new technologies out there. And so I, I've always appreciated that about us. Like we're going to, we're going to dip our toe in a lot of different ponds here. We're going to find something that, that works, but I think above all else, just the idea of what it's bringing to the table and leveraging data and big sets of data to, to make better informed decisions and help our pros at the end of the day is, is exciting for sure. Scary. I'm going to be honest with you. I still don't know everything about it. So I don't know. I don't know what that means, but I'm excited to learn about it and see how it can, it can benefit us and our customers. Absolutely. I think you're in the same boat as the rest of us, right? Let's experiment. Let's find some good use cases and see what it brings. But to shut it out at this point in time, you don't know what you're up against. You just got to have an open mind and let it come to you. Yeah. Totally. I think some people might assume it's the Skynet of the future here. You got to remind people that it's, it can work. I think in our favor. Yeah. Mm. Excited. I, I can tell you just using certain technologies in my personal life, gotten a tremendous amount of benefit from it. I was able to get a road trip itinerary just typed up for me in two seconds and yeah, it just right. saved me a Google in here. So kudos, kudos there to that technology, man. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, we'll take you to, through a quick fire round, Justin. We ask all the guests that pop up on the show, similar questions. They're all favorite type of questions. So uh -oh. let's get those underway. <laughs> favorite movie. Do you have one? Loaded question, but oh, Braveheart, <laughs> Gladiator, one of those. I don't know. One of those. Okay. Yeah. They're good ones. Hey, uh. Favorite music genre. I don't know how much you get to listen to music anymore with a young baby, but do you have a favorite music genre? It's going to sound a little crazy, but I think my daughter is really into more of the rap and R&B rhythms and nice. vibes. And we've been playing a little bit of that. I got to be careful in what I'm playing, but so, I play across the whole music spectrum there. But I'll say that one's been on my top of my list lately. It's been a hit, man. It's been a hit on this show too. So we're aggregating all the data. We're going to put our polls at the end, but I think hip hop <laughs> yeah. and R&B is leading the way for sure. Just, just be careful with what's on the playlist. <laughs> hey, you got to go unfiltered, man. 
What about favorite drink, Justin? What are you leaning towards when it comes to Friday evening or, a, or a, an event or a weekend away? What's your jam? Been on a gin kick lately. Good yeah. gin and tonic, Hendrix and tonic, a warm day, yeah. a bunch of ice in there. That does it for me, right? Nice. A slice yeah. of cucumber, a little bit of black pepper. That yeah. goes well. You're speaking my language. Oh, You're speaking my language. <laughs> nice. They're just coming up this summer, right? What about favorite place to visit? Or your favorite place that you haven't been to yet? It's so interesting you ask that because with my daughter, who is just an amazing bright spot in my life right now, I want to show her all of the places we've been to and everything is new. So even those places that you've gotten to that you you wouldn't maybe visit again, but you're like, wow, there were such good memories around that. We spent a bunch of time in Palm Springs out here. That to me is always, if there were no kids involved or kids involved, that's a very relaxing place to go. And I'm always into the desert vibes there. I I, I can mess around with some Palm Springs. Yeah. Nice one. Hey, this is the main one though. This is the whole reason the podcast has arrived on the scene. Uh, This is the one that's most controversial. There's only one right answer. You cannot (laughs) mess this up, dude. Peanut butter. How do you like it? Crunchy or smooth? Oh my goodness. Uh, smooth, man. What do you mean? Like, it's got to be smooth. Come on. Like, how do you possibly... Oh, dude, man. What, you, man? Dude, what do you mean? How can you... All the way we were going. How can you smear this thing on bread the right way and capture every inch of that piece of bread if it's not just silky smooth? I don't know how you do it with crunchy, man. Not my style. We respect your decision. We will, we will have to edit it out, but <laughs> oh, nevertheless, no. we respect yeah. your choice. <laughs> oh, my God. My friends are going to kill me on that uh, one. Oh, man. Thanks again. This has been fun, Justin. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing all your insights, dude. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Ricky. Good seeing you.